Welcome to People Who Teach, a podcast where we explore the habits, beliefs, and ideas of real people who teach. My name is Brian Seppi, one of the hosts, and I share this space with my talented colleague, Andrew Stella. So welcome to episode two. We are excited to have you along. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe. We do appreciate your support. In this episode, Andrew and I unpack the idea and definition of learning. We also dive deep into this notion of learning loss and the experiences of our students. We talk about the distinction between learning loss and learning gaps. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for being here. Welcome to People Who Teach. Name is Brian Seppi, and my co-host is Andrew Stella. We explore the habits, topics, and beliefs around teaching and people who teach. So today, we had to make a pivot, which we knew we would have some learning bumps in this whole process of creating a podcast, especially with two individuals that were willing to take a risk and jump in there feet first, maybe head first into uh, exploring a podcast in under 48 hours, which is what we created. And we realized that the name Real Teacher Talk had been taken. And we are thankful that we found that out pretty quickly in this journey. What we did as a result of learning from that experience is to go back to a title that we originally had and started with as a possibility, which is People Who Teach. And I think it's a nice thing because anybody that we bring on to this particular podcast would be a person of interest in relation to teaching. So here we are, people who teach. Andrew, we are back together again, and it is day one of the week for those who are catching the live stream right now. This podcast will be posted a little bit later. And I'm just thinking about Mondays and Mondays after a break are always interesting. Let's just unpack Monday after a break real quick. What does that look like from a teacher end? Oh, and I think this was very interesting too, because not only was it the Monday after a break, we've actually been shut down and out of school since right before Thanksgiving. So November 23rd. So it was very interesting. It was different being back. That's for sure. Uh, seeing other teachers, even in the morning and things like that was just uh, just different, you know? Um, but it was good seeing the kids. Now I am fully remote, but I am in a classroom where I'm teaching remotely. I have about 19 kids. Um, and it was you know, it's different seeing everybody and everybody back after such a long time. So you're teaching on campus at your school? Yes. So are, are there, are there, advantages to teaching on campus as opposed to maybe teaching from home? I know there's uh, a pocket of teachers in my circles that have the opportunity to teach from home as well, because space is limited on campus for mm -hmm. some schools and districts. And there may be some differences. I'm curious to know, have you done both? And what have you found to be sort of a, a difference there? I've done both. Um, and it's very interesting because when you're at school, there's a lot of, um, when you're at school, there's a lot of teachers who you're talking to, you're helping, you're collaborating with. So a lot of your time is spent in these collaborations. Um, when you're at home, you have a little bit more time to digest things um, and kind of plan a little bit more. So those are some different things. Also, like I do a lot of tech techie things um, at my school. So I'm helping people with tech and kind of maneuver around some of those things. The one thing about being home for me is when you shut it off, it's off, you're done, you're home. I think going between like dropping the kids off at daycare and things like that and kind of wrapping everything up. I mean, once you turn off your computer at home, that's it. But when you're at, when you're in, on campus, you know, it's a little different. That's a good discipline to have and a kind of mindset to work from. I think you know, many colleagues are certainly in that that boat where they feel the pressure to know when to switch it off. And that's a real challenge. And, and, and perhaps we can use that as a future episode. But I think knowing when to be disciplined and 
turn it off. And that's not to say that if you don't turn it off, you don't have some sort of discipline, but it takes a certain discipline to be able to say, hey, look, I, I've done the work for the day. I'm pretty maxed out with that. It's time to move on to other things, which means shutting it down. And I think that takes, uh, it requires some skill. Well, and I think that, and we've talked a little bit about this, about lesson planning and things like that. And I know a lot of people have reached out and they want to know like what lesson planning looks like now. And, you know, some of the teachers that I talk to, it's looking different. They're, they're trying to get, we're trying to get more longevity out of a unit instead of just looking at it like we're going to teach this lesson this day. No, we're going to put together these really good resources, these really good slides, these really good um, these really th good things that we're going to use. And however we're teaching and whatever the book or you know the lesson lands us in, we're going to have some teaching materials out of it and we're going to rock and roll with it. And I think that's kind of how with technology, it's looking a little bit different. I was writing down, I was talking to a friend and said, you know, there's a difference between using technology and using technology to enhance your instruction. And I think uh, a lot of us are finding that technology can really enhance some of the things that we're doing and maybe even free us up a little bit because we've already planned it, you know, and we have the resources right there. No, that's a great point. And I, that kind of brings up the topic for today's podcast, which is this idea and this concept of learning loss. And we'll talk about it with the lens of student learning loss, right? Uh, because you could argue there's learning loss in a lot of areas for many of us. Professional development looks different now or um, grade level colleagues meetings and, and that sort of work. All of that looks completely different. But when we talk about learning loss and we talk about it with the context of students, you and I read an article and I'll let you kind of take over from here with the article title that you pushed my way and I'll drop this into the chat and tee this one up for you. But let's talk about learning loss. Yeah. So this is an amazing article. It is the ridiculousness uh, of learning loss. And it was in Forbes um, by an educator. Really interesting read. It's actually a really short read. But I will tell you some of the things that I took out of this read were very interesting. And I think I want to start with, you know, you brought this up last time is this idea between the learning gap and the learning loss. Like what's the difference in your mind? What is the difference between a learning gap and a learning loss? Okay. So I think it's, that's a great question. And one of the things that I think we have to first get clear on is what is our definition of learning, right? And so I'll just kind of quote the great Seth Godin again, and it won't be the last time that I will quote Seth Godin on this one. Um, but in his, and this comes from a post that he wrote, I could drop this into the show notes at some point. Learning can't be done to you. Mm -hmm. It's a choice and it requires active participation on your part, right? Not simple adherence to some set metric or metrics. So when you think about it that way, if you think about learning that way, we could compartmentalize, have students experience some learning loss. I have some points that I think could illustrate they've actually gained some learning as a result of everything that has gone on, uh, being a little bit further away from traditional school models. And those are just anecdotes. So you could dive deeper into that topic at some point with what's out there and being researched. But when it comes to the learning gap, whatever those metrics are that we determine in school, if there's a gap in what it is we're measuring, there has always been some sort of gap, right? You've either had students at benchmark for some metric that we're measuring. Let's take, you know, we'll take reading again, right? As a, as a, when we, when we speak of like K5, there's a way to measure reading progress. Okay. And if we look at just those metrics, whether they are standardized uh, with some sort of benchmark or they are like, we use FastBridge. I don't know what your your benchmarking system is uh, in your district, mm -hmm. but we could we could look at that data and we could say that there is a gap. Uh, there would have been a gap in a traditional year. There will be a gap in a non-traditional year like we're experiencing now. Mm -hmm. This also brings in, and I don't want to sort of undersell 
this point either, which is the point of equity, right? Like, do we have access to the technology? Do we have access to what it is we're doing in all areas? And that's a question that we're not the direct sort of, and I think the article mentioned this, mentions this too. We're not the cause of that. We have to look at different sort of ideas for what's causing that gap as far as the equity. And that is a much bigger topic than you and I. Mm-hmm. And what we can talk to is the learning gap, this measurement of skill set against some benchmarks and comparative data against other students is, yeah, you'll notice a gap. There's going to be a learning gap at some point. Does that equate learning loss? I'm not 100% sure that it does. Your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. I, I love your take on that they're probably learning things that we're not thinking of, right? And um, my biggest worry, I would say, is that students who really do need the help, whether it was a traditional year or not, like are those kids getting the help, getting the interventions, getting the things that they need and I, I just don't, I don't know the answers to those questions. I know teachers are working tirelessly to try to help those kids as much as possible, but I, I, I just, are they really getting the help? That's what I don't know. Do we have enough teachers? Do we have enough interventionists and resources to do that? Don't you think that, don't you think that kind of comes back to this idea of equity again, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we have access and all things are from an equity standpoint. There's enough teachers, there's enough resources, there are enough smaller class sizes, which, you know, things like that. Like there's enough access to technology. The playing field is level as far as equity. Like that's that's not what you and I are talking about tonight, but it's important because it feeds that conversation too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not going to say that I am the most uh, sought out researcher or anything like that on equity in education, but I do think it's an important piece to this equation, which is, yes, there's going to be a learning gap. How is that different than any year? I mean, we're we're putting a standard metric in place to measure students against some benchmark, Right. There would have been a, a, a gap four years ago. There is going to be a gap this year. And it's not easy, it, or I'm sorry, it is easy to find those gaps and, and point them out. But when we talk about learning loss, if we were to go back to that definition we had, which is learning can't be done to you, it's a choice. It requires active participation, not simple adherence to metrics. Now, there are fundamental skills that I believe deeply need to be, especially at our levels that we talk about when we when we speak of K K-5 education. Are there going to be gaps in some of that? Yeah, I think I think so. You're probably noticing some gaps around reading volume or what students are coming to maybe kindergarten with when it comes to phonemic awareness. However, there might also be a shift in some of that. And and like I don't have the data on that, but like if if parents and their siblings are were at home more, are students picking up more talk in the household as a result of this and coming to school with better phonemic awareness? I I don't know the answer to those questions, but it's an interesting conversation, which is why we're here tonight. Well, I think that's interesting too. Like, like you just said, we don't have the data on it yet. Like we don't know. We don't know these things, you know? And I do think like we've said in the past, there's, there's different life skills and things that kids are learning how to maneuver that might not be the traditional way of doing things, right? Um, you know, I, I go back to this article too. Uh, I, you know, I one one part really resonated with me, and it was the need for reassembling. And often reassembling leads to greater understanding. So, like when when we set up a unit, or you know, we're teaching into something. We don't necessarily, um, we don't necessarily just keep teaching the same thing over and over and over again. We 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 circle back to it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we come back to units. We can't just keep drilling kids with the same exact thing, expecting results. We have to 
come back around but and i think you know not all your kids are ready i think that's why like enrichment and things like that are very important because we need to meet kids where they're at it's such an interesting point and i and i love the way you put that because you're right and i think again it it's Hmm. Let me put it this way. Uh, I have somewhat of a slant when it comes to higher education, and I can speak to that a little bit. But I think for most of my day, both you and I, like we are spent, we're spending it in the K five world. Mm-hmm. What we face in K five that is a little bit more unique than some of our colleagues who are faced with many different challenges when it comes to learning uh, six through twelve and beyond is that we are also responsible for these fundamental foundational skills, right? Mm-hmm. We are, you know, our, our first and second grade teachers are really making sure that kids come ready for comprehension work in grade three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they, they can write with some sense of fluency and fluidity in grade four and so on. So those standards don't go out the window right? But we are, we are going to be responsible for them. So those gaps in foundational skills, like are students writing enough? I, I mean, I guess we could argue that point. Uh, you know, I'm sure some would say maybe we're not, maybe we are, are we meeting the standard? Are we not meeting the standard? Maybe we can get, we can get lost in the weeds on that one. Or we could look at it as, you know, what are the opportunities we've had for learning in the sense that we talked about and that definition, if you like that definition from Seth Godin, which is learning can't be done to you. It requ- it's a choice. It requires an active participation. And it's not just this measurement up against some metric. And if you think about it that way, and I go back to my own children as the the, the study at home, uh, sixth grade and fourth grade. Well, let me ask you this before I get into my own children. When you want to truly learn something, Okay. What's like, what's your, what's your method? Like, what do you do? Like, what do you typically do? Let's say you wanted to, I I can tell you what I do when I wanted to learn how to run a marathon. So you, you, I go to YouTube and I type in training for a marathon and there are like endless videos for that. So what do I do? I watch all of these videos I learn as much as I can. I start to understand, oh wait, heart training is heart rate training is a good thing. Okay. What does it mean to to do heart rate training and how do I implement it? And then I go and I actually implement it and then I reflect on the things and my learning and then I keep adding to it, right? And like you said, I I kind of come out of that a better person. I mean, like what's something that you've learned recently that you kind of how did you go about it? I would say, and I, I'm actually going to pose a question too while I answer the question. Love it. If that makes sense. <laughs> I love uh, it. As a teacher, how are you changing your instruction, right? The question is, how are you changing your instruction to fit the needs of the kids in front of you, what they mm-hmm. need right now? Your kids may not you need to teach them how to access those YouTube videos in order to be successful, right? So I almost think about, you know, if you're teaching remotely, if you're teaching hybrid, if you're teaching in person, it doesn't matter right now in this moment, how are you changing your instruction? Because I think a lot of people and a lot of people who are big names in education are all of a sudden kind of thinking like, oh man, we're maybe changing the way we're thinking. And Mm -hmm. now with the pandemic, like we really have to do some thinking. Mm. Um, and I think that's put a lot of people in, um, a lot of different spots. So I always try to think when I, in my teaching philosophy is whenever I get comfortable on thing and notice my kids get comfortable, what can I change? How can we grow and how can we evolve as a class, because um, if you're t- constantly doing the same thing and getting comfortable, I mean that's that's how you push the limits. That's how you that's how you achieve these ridiculously high standards. You know, they're they're high and they are intense. But I will tell you that effective teachers will change their instruction to help the kids in the moment with what they need. 
And mm-hmm. and speaking on my end, it may be more guided writing. It may be more shared writing. It may be more, it may just look different. It may be some more videos. It may be, it's, it's something different because when you sit on a computer screen with a kid, you're going to lose their attention quick. So you right. have to think on your feet. That's, and it kind of goes back to that instruction. How is instruction, how is lesson plan changing and evolving into something that now it looks way different, but it could be the new norm. Yeah. There's so much there to unpack. Right. But I think your point is like, what's the shift you've made in order to sort of adapt and become flexible in the new normal. Right. Mm-hmm. When you, when you notice, I mean, when we talk about learning loss, let me put, let me ask you this and, and I'll circle back to my illustration of my own uh, sons here at home, sixth and, and fourth grader. I mean, what have you noticed you know, with your own students? I mean, like that teacher gut feeling, do you have that feeling that there's some sort of learning loss? Not with my students, not with my students. And I'm in that grade. I'm in that third grade. I think, I think that the learning loss gap, you know, whatever, I think in K one, Two, it's it. We're gonna see some things come out of it. I th- I do think, like the article had said, in the spring, like teachers did an amazing job, and we've evolved and we've learned from it, and we're ready to tackle this year. So to think that like kids are at a loss or a disadvantage right now, I I don't buy that. Um, but I do buy that kids who need those foundational skills. Uh, the foundational skills that they may have missed in like kindergarten, that could be big. Yeah. Um, I think that's something to watch for. You're right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a little bit of tension there because we're not sure yet. And we don't have the answers. We don't have the data on that. That won't surface until we start to see what it is we're comparing that, that to in a few years. But I will say this. I do know that that shift you talked about earlier, when it comes to colleagues that are in my immediate circles and in my wider network, I do think when it comes to, let, let's just take kindergarten, for example, I think there has been more emphasis when it comes to those foundational skills around phonics, phonemic awareness, phonological awareness, all of these like these pieces that need to be in place that precede traditional reading, I think people are focused on the right things or just like number sense. The -hmm. amount of people that I see using things like a record rack or a number rack, however you want to call that. But like the amount of people that are putting time and energy into those high leverage foundational skills, I think has been evident in those circles and, and people that I'm watching. Many people have had to shift grade levels or shift focus within their buildings, you know, at at certain changes. So I think those folks are now adapting, right? Maybe in that December, January kind of mindset, they're, they're taking on more learning around those foundational skills and figuring out what's essential, what's important, how can I leverage it? And I think now I'm noticing a lot of colleagues who are leveraging systems and structures, things like conferencing, uh, I was going to do a little little series on conferring and just unpacking that because if you're a hybrid teacher or you're holding office hours and you're a secondary teacher, you're probably finding a lot of bang for your buck when it comes to conferring with students one-on-one. Uh, I've, I've noticed some colleagues in, in my circles that are saying students will show up when it's one-on-one, turn on their screen, and I'm right there with them. And I think that time is a humanizing experience for all people involved, me as a teacher learning about my students and the students learning about what it is they can focus on. And I think those sort of activities or structures like conferring are really important. I launched uh, with a colleague this morning and I don't think she would mind me dropping her name uh, here and you know her well and and uh, Megan Miller. So I was in Megan's room Monday. She wants to start Monday at 930 with me. I mean, like talk about a a learner, right? She wants oh, yeah. to start with the, the instructional literacy coach on a Monday at 9.30. I'm like, Megan, are you sure? She's like, yes. I'm like, okay, fine. 
we implemented in her room of 14, we implemented uh, weekly reading plans, okay, first grade. And the point of these weekly reading plans were to make sure that the question we're trying to answer is, how do we get students to act with a sense of agency and independence in reading workshop? How do they take charge of the reading stuff that we're teaching? How do they try and put it into practice in their own reading? And then how do they come to partnerships six feet away right now with masks on and polycarbonate barriers? How do they come to partnerships where they can share what it is they worked on uh, with their their partners? Mm-hmm. So they had this sort of accountability. What we learned this morning is that students got on to, which was a tough task early in the year, students got onto the Google Classroom, downloaded the link, opened up the Jamboard, went to their assigned slide in the Jamboard, and we're on this thing and under, uh, I think she was playing one song that they had to transition. Um, might've been a Beatles song. She's a Beatles fan. Uh, it might've been like Imagine or something like that. They had like whatever the length of Imagine is, they had that amount of time to get to their slide and they did it. It was amazing. Like there was like not one, st- we had 100% participation involved in that moment. I think what that illustrates for me is that, like you said, we can have kids doing things that are in the learning realm like mm-hmm. learn what it means to set up a weekly plan and have kids operating from that place of agency where it's like, all right, if I'm going to have this as my plan, scooping up words, are there tools, are there resources in the room that I might use and leverage to help me get to my plan and ultimately my goal for this skill of becoming a more efficient or more uh, more effective reader? And I think we'll see how this plays out. But I think the point that it illustrates is Students are pretty flexible. They've learned a lot. They've like, I don't know that we would have been doing these week long plans had it not been for smaller class sizes, looking for a way to have kids interact this global pandemic. And here we are, students are making weekly plans operating from a place of agency. It's a beautiful question that she has and that we're trying to answer, which is independence and agency in charge of their own learning, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And it's amazing. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do do you... Yeah, I mean, I also think, you know, and I know you very well, and I know Megan Miller very well, and I know that effective teachers give kids the tools in order for them to be successful. Mm. So there's, you know, I sometimes I feel like when kids, they're almost shy to speak up because they the directions might not be clear enough, or they might not know exactly what to do. And it's easier for kids to kind of go with the flow, you know what I mean? But when things are very clear and the expectations, and I know Megan Miller and I know the expectations are very clear. And when those expectations are clear and when those routines and procedures are and structures are set in place, there's this feeling of like, I got this, you know what I mean? And I think that's that independence of, you know, and we're like that as adults too right? If we, if we walk into a meeting and you have no clue what it's going to be about and the message is just delivered and you're, you're expected to know things and it's like, did I miss an email? I don't know. Like, I don't know where, 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 when did this happen? And you start to freak out and it's like that anxiety, you know, I had a great example today, you know, the internet wasn't the best, you know, and, and these are Mm -hmm. things, (laughs) listen, we could talk about remote learning all we want. The kids are yelling. The dogs are going nuts. You know, the 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 internet shuts down. It, this is all a part of what everyone is dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to get flustered with it. But like we said on our last podcast, kids are watching us. They're looking for how, what we say, what we do, how we react to certain situations. And I also think that, you know, when the internet went down today, my kids, it went down three times. Every single one of those kids was sitting in the zoom waiting for me. And I popped on and I go, where did you guys go? You know, like they're like, it's you. I'm like, I know it's me. I told you the internet was crazy today. So it's just, man, you, and, and it all kind of stems from you, right? right? It stems from how flexible you are how resourceful you are, how much, how willing are you to provide kids with the resources in order for them to be successful? 
And it's, it's like you said, plenty of times, kids are very resilient, resourceful, mm-hmm. flexible, and they're, they're so young. And so like they're being molded. Mm-hmm. So like whatever we do with them in that moment, it has serious, it, it is serious. And, mm-hmm. and we're thinking about this, this pandemic and all these things, like they're looking for someone without saying it, they're not saying it, but they're looking to someone like, how should I handle this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what's the way we should be acting right now? How should we be acting? How should we be? And, and I, you know, I can't speak for in person, but I can speak for rem- I know is I could be having the worst day imaginable, but when I pop on with those kids, it's just, a, you know, they, they know me and I'm, I got the conversation going and like you, you have one girl who's just stayed on zoom and you just have a short conversation with her. Like, that's what these kids need right now. Sure. Yeah, and they're and they're learning in those moments, right? Like they're learning what does it mean to be accountable to show up to a place, and then also when that place now this virtual Zoom shuts down, what's my mode of action? All right, I'm going to stay on. I'm going to stay on for another 20 minutes. If nothing happens, I'll shut it down. Maybe I'll send an email. Maybe I'll ask uh, my caregiver, you know, or or a family member for support. That right there is learning from an event, right? Like mm-hmm. that's where you learn. You learn on the fringes of these events in life where they're, they're taking stock of these, these moments, these things, and they're going to be better for it. So when we say there's a learning loss, okay, I, I question that and I'm not 100% sold on that. Um, now, yeah. I always believe in, in kind of weighing the options for both sides. I, don't, I like to stay in the gray. I don't like to get caught and sort of being so one-sided when it comes to these things, because there's so much more to learn about it. But for right now, I could say like, I question and would gladly enter a conversation with anybody about learning loss. Now, learning gaps, again, I think we've been able to tease out the difference between a learning gap and a learning loss, which brings me back to my anecdote about my own children. So back to my experience when it comes to running. And you could do this with anything that you're learning. If you want to learn how to be a better writer, then you're going to look to people that can give you advice about writing. If you want to learn how to meditate, there are plenty of people out there that will walk you through meditation. If you want to learn about yoga, you can go to YouTube and you can find Adrienne and she will teach you everything you need to know in a 30-day challenge. But my point in saying that is this, the learning that you want to do by your own choice and by your own design is available to you. So my my own children have managed, as I mentioned before in the last podcast, which was they figured out a way to be almost simulcasting their 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 lives. Like they're on a they're on a phone and having a conversation there with their their peers while simultaneously playing a game where they're talking in a headset to somebody else. And they're somehow managing this conversation. And I think they're learning. They're learning how to negotiate. They're learning how to um, operate from a place of compassion when it doesn't go their way. They're learning how to um, sort of, you know, come to compromise uh, when, when, it, when it comes to, you know, hey, we're going to leave this game. We're going to go do something else. So I think they're learning a lot. But I'll say this. The other thing that this has taught me when it comes to, because my, my students, my children are, are hybrid, They've learned to be a little bit more of a self-starter. Now they don't—they don't wake up at nine o'clock and are on some schedule and, you know, pushing, plowing through the day. They may be late starters, but they're getting their work done on these off days, these asynchronous hybrid days. When they're done with that, they're then taking on learning that matters to them. They know what was given to them or set out for them by their their teachers, the fabulous teachers, and that's great. But then when they're done, they take on learning that matters to them. So my oldest has figured out how to do some of these transitions on TikTok. Now, if you think about this, just from a learning standpoint, okay, the idea of getting a sweatshirt, I'm sure you've seen these transitions, right? This, this, mm. you, take a, you take a piece of clothing on TikTok and you throw it and then somehow, you know, the next transition is it ends up on your body. That's magical, right? I would, but, I would break my back. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't do, I don't do anything. There, there's nothing I do on TikTok that is either much fun. Uh, I don't really, I, whatever. I have my, my lane that I stay in that I know and whatever. But 
my point in saying this is, so what he had to do to learn that was he had to watch enough of these transitions to get curious. And then he had to say, hmm, I think there's a moment here where I can actually do this myself. And then he said, what do I need to learn this? So we found the tutorials, these, these teaching videos on TikTok about how you can do some of these transitions. He watches them. And then he makes a bunch of drafts. He plows through them. He gets a little bit better. He doesn't post any of those drafts, but he gets a little bit better. And what happens, and I'm not saying this is, I'm just saying this is a learning experience. He finally gets the courage to post one of them and it comes off as flawless. I mean, it was a beautifully done. Now his, his exact piece was off of a, a transition that the weekend that the Steelers played the bills, knowing that I'm from Pittsburgh, he is rooting for the Buffalo bills. And he did this transition out of like, let's move on from the Steeler thing. And let's really root for the bills. And I loved it um, because I think it showed his, his fan commitment. Right. But my, my point in saying that is he chose a path of learning that mattered to him and he figured out how to access the materials. He knew exactly what he needed to make this thing happen. And he pursued his own learning on his own time. No one prescribed that for him. For him. No one said, here's the outline for how to get that thing done. And are those skills, so if you think about that skill, this idea that kids are learning in other areas because they have maybe different time or forced time at home, are they learning different skills as a result of being in the situation that we're in with this educational landscape? Well, that I mean, very well put about the path of learning mattered to him. I wrote that down because that's mm -hmm. perfect. And, and I even go into adults. So as an adult, right. And, and we can talk and I, I coach middle school and high school wrestling. So I am, you know, I am with these kids and I, and I have been for gosh years. And I even, it was in college too. I was, I was coaching kids in college. Like you as an adult had a choice, right? You determined there, there were two things. Is this something my child needs help with? Or is this something that he needs to explore himself, right? And you were there as a as a guide if he needed you. You were a resource, right? Mm -hmm. and me may have, you know. But like you said, he took it upon himself, right? Because mm -hmm. it was something he cared about. And I had a, a conversation with an administrator today. Like, if the kids don't want to read about it, like, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not going to be is meaningful to them. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a routine almost. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with the older kids, you know, middle school, high school, they're, they're battled with a lot of choices right now. And um, who are they looking to as, as role models, especially when sports are shut down and some of the, some of the people that they may have leaned on mm. aren't there. That's what worries me. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it's so, uh, there's a, there's a colleague that I have. And so, you know, find your people. Okay. Find the people that you can lean on, that you can learn with. So I have a, a colleague who's in Calgary. Now her and I found each other through a Twitter chat on a Saturday morning. She commented on one post that I made and then said, I love the way you put that. And I wrote back to her and I was like, I love your thread. It seems like we're thinking the same things. And we finally found a way to link up on um, a, a virtual meeting. And why that's important is I found that learning with her is some of the most important work that I can do, right? Like it is arguably like something I walk away with and I feel a little bit more fulfilled as a result of learning with her. Now we've shared some resources back and forth and she started a podcast. We've started a podcast and I would love to link those things up at some point, but I think it's pursuing those people that can influence you. Like you're saying, like find the mentors, the people that you want to learn with and from. And I wish we had more opportunity like that when it comes to our like middle school, high school students, because you're right. Like being every other day or hybrid, maybe you lose contact with some of those possibilities. And I just feel like you're right. But the opportunity now is you you can reach out. You can reach out to those mentors. I have had no problem reaching out to people that I want to learn with. Uh, Jim Knight is a, a big influence for me when it comes to instructional coaching. If I have a question 
Jim has provided a platform where I feel very confident that I could email him my question about coaching because he wants to see his work go well. He doesn't want his work to be in the world and have it sort of confused or misused or misrepresented in any way. So I feel very strongly that, yeah, you're right. Reach out to those mentors, learn from those people. And that right there is different because that is not, that's learning. That, that is the essence of like, I pursue the path that I want. I go get this piece of learning that will make me um, a little bit better. I think that's different when it comes to the K five area, because, you know, like you said, there are foundational skills that, you know, we are responsible for at those levels. And I feel like that's, that's a little bit trickier of a, a conversation. Well, and I almost pose it to you like this what about being like you're doing with your son, like creating that path for learning? Maybe that's more important right now (laughs) than the standard or uh, being in first grade and knowing 10 more, 10 less, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, maybe those kids will be more resilient when time comes, but we don't have that data yet. Yeah, and I think, I think but you know, no, you you bring up a good point. Like I, I think you know, we we have always been parents who, and I, look, I'm, I'm not getting this parenting thing, like right. Okay, like <laughs> there's a lot that goes on that is completely wrong, but I'm thoughtful about it. Like I do think about it. It does weigh on me, and I think about where these kids are going to be. You know, twelve years has gone by pretty quickly for my oldest. Okay. The idea that I have a 12 and a 10 year old is bananas to me. Um, but what are going to be the jobs? What are going to be the skills that they need to operate in the jobs that aren't even created yet or are still being creative? This idea of innovation, we talked about this idea of innovation, hustle, grit, resilience, all of these skills. Like, I don't know. Are you, are you learning those in every unit that you have? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to it's hard to say that. But like, are you learning it when you create something, put it into the world, and then revise it? Maybe. You know. Um, the other thing goes. We we talked about sports, and you know, I think there are a lot of lessons. The kids being in activities, and I will speak only to sports. But this idea of learning when it comes to these athletics or activities that are outside of school, like those hubs and those moments are really important when it comes to learning. Now, a lot of those things have been shut down, shifted, whatever, but we need to bring those things back also. And we need to bring them back with like a sense of urgency and sort of energy because those are going to be the moments that like when those camps and those skills um, for being involved in activities and sports outside of this come back, kids need to be involved. We need to make sure that they're involved. And, you know, that sort of learning will go a long way because students will be able to operate, you know, and synthesize information, what they need to make sure that they can put their product into the world or what they need to make sure that their pro- their project hits home with people, their documentary, whatever they're creating, uh, their book, their business, you know, all of these things that we don't know yet, the skills that they need they're learning. They're learning implicitly or explicitly, like you said before, like they're feeding off of us, uh, the role models and their, their, their lives. And we need to continue to like be mindful of those things too, rather than, you know, introducing an algorithm and, and, you know, end of fourth grade or something. Uh, and who knows how the, who knows how the, um, who knows what's, what's the world going to be like in 20 years too. you know, who knows what, um, not, not only did I never think that we'd be teaching this, right? I always knew, I knew that when I got into third grade and my kids had one-to-one iPads, I knew that it was a very, a huge tool, you know, that kids could go around my room and scan QR codes and a lesson just pops up and it teaches you and it's me, you know, um, and I was doing a lot of that work right before the shutdown happened. And I, I, I do think that, you know, sometimes things are always changing and, and I learn a new 
teaching strategy or a new tech strategy every single day. What are kids going to learn next? What's going to be the next big thing? Who, what do they have to prepare for? I don't know, but I do know that if you have those skills like um, planning, you're able to set goals and f- at least follow them, whether you pass or fail, you know, grit, resiliency, flexibility, determine like all these skills that like everyone always talks about, Mm -hmm. but like, what if, what if they're gaining them right Mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's very interesting to talk about because you know, when, when your teacher zaps off zoom, you have a choice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) man. Cause there, some kids will be like, see ya, I'm out, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it just goes to show you that like when kids invest in learning and invest in you as their teacher and they want to be there, I mean, you can teach them a lot of good things and not yeah. just algorithms, right? Sure. Yeah, I think I think like you're saying, like what, what students have there is a sense of trust in that you are going to create a learning environment that is going to help them in all of these other skills and areas too. So, you know, the idea that you can learn, uh, like you said, uh, about perseverance or grit or resiliency. And I would add another one to that, which is a huge one, this idea of like being a little bit more mission driven and having an impact and, and working from a place of generosity, giving it away, right? Like giving what it is you want because you want to see it in the world and being a little bit more mission driven around impact those sorts of things i think kids are 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 vibing off of and they're feeling those things but i know that like you said although we may not pop that out explicitly all the time the skills that we're teaching them early um to be advocates for themselves to be activists for what it is they believe in like all of that work is really important work and it comes from those foundational skills of like yes i'll teach you the skills for how to read well i'll teach you the skills for how to write well, but I also need to create boundaries for safe environments where you know that even if you fall, there's a net there to kind of catch you right now. Because at some point, I want you to continue to sharpen that tool until you really figure it out and own it for yourself. And you can make some real change, some lasting, significant change in the world. Because I want to be a part of that story as an educator. Right. Like I want to know that the kids, the teachers that I've impacted are also impacting others in a really generous, thoughtful way. No doubt. And um, you know, even think if you if we go back to the beginning of this podcast when you were talking about Megan Miller giving the kids a jam board, those kids have no clue that jam board is like brand new and that it's evolving. It and they they just made the change that you could put backgrounds in. Like this thing is so new, it's scary. And you said they just they just rocked and rolled with it because the learning environment didn't say you know any any teacher could be like ah oh, I guess we're gonna try this. It's probably I had a bunch of issues with it last time I used it. You know mm-hmm. if I heard that I'd be like ah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do well with this. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting. I guess the question we're asking people this week in the comments here is, do you, do you think about this learning loss? What does it mean? You and I, I think have teased out really well, this idea of learning gap, learning loss. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to get people's thoughts. Like, are you experiencing students? Cause we'd love to hear from you. Like, I think your, your comments blew up a little bit last time after we posted our first podcast, which by the way, we, again, for those of you who weren't here at the beginning, we had to pivot and make an adjustment with the name. We moved from Real Teacher Talk with Andrew and Brian to People Who Teach with Andrew and Brian. And so, <laughs> and so we, uh, we've adjusted and we've pivoted. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is we need to hear from the people who listen and take this information in. And I think your comments are always welcome. Like, we're not afraid to get into the ring and talk about these things. Uh, and we admit where we are green and we may not know enough, but we are also looking at the perspective and the lens of two people that are in buildings and schools in contact with teachers and students every day. 
and we're talking about these issues as they relate to our instruction and maybe this impacts you in a way. So we'd love to hear from you. Any thoughts on getting comments from our colleagues who are listening, Andrew? I mean, we feed off of what you guys come to us with, you know, and, and I know we have a lot of topics set up that we're going to discuss that you all are wondering. And, you know, I think, I think we, I think we had a really good discussion today on learning. What is learning loss? What is learning gaps? And hopefully that if you are listening to this podcast, you know, maybe it has made you kind of question or maybe think to yourself, like, what can I do to kind of my instruction so I can benefit my kids? So this learning loss, like, like how can I pivot, right? And we use that, mm. that keyword pivot, but how can you pivot your own instruction, whether you've been teaching for one year six years, 20 years and do, do, you know, do the best you can do every day for your kids. It's all any, any teacher could ask for. That's a great place to sort of end today's segment. And as always, you can find us at Brian underscore Seppi underscore and Andrew, you can find him at Mr. Stellar teaching at most places on his handle. If you have questions about this episode or any episode that we've done, please leave us a comment and look for us as we post the audio version if you are missing the live stream. But if you want to hear the live stream, we'll drop the article link into the show notes and description for this video, as well as uh, any articles that we referenced in previous episodes. So thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. And until next time. Thank you so much for being here for this episode. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing. And if you get a chance, leave us a comment about this episode or any episode to this point. We really enjoy your comments. They are going to be the driving force behind the content that we create on this podcast. And until next time, thank you so much. Have a great day.